This is J.J. Cooper, Editor-in-Chief of Baseball America, and you're listening to the Friars on the Farm Podcast. Welcome to episode 216, the first episode of the off-season of Friars on the Farm Podcast. I'm Donovan, and with me is Roy. Donovan, what a long, strange trip it's been. Well, for the second time, <laughs> long, strange tripping season, um, crazy uh, but we're but, still but trucking. We're just going to keep trucking on. That's we're right. Keep on trucking. Yeah, because uh-huh. the, the regular uh-huh. season's over, but Arizona Fall League <laughs> is kicking off. You've got winter ball that's going to start kicking off here soon. Yeah. You've got all the off-season stuff that, that we like to keep track of. Uh, and so we, we can look back on the season on this long, strange trip we've just completed. Uh, but we're going to keep on trucking through the off-season. Absolutely. And so we're going to have a little bit of the Major League Minute. Some friends of the podcast make the Major League debuts. Uh, we have some MILB awards and then some Arizona Fall League news. And then we're going to end it with the interview that we had with Assistant Director of Player Development, Mike Daly. A real cool cat. Uh, thank you, Craig Huner, for allowing us to talk to him. Uh, we appreciate the time and we appreciate him uh, coming on the podcast. I'm I'm glad that we got to finally ask a bunch of those questions that we keep kicking around. Like, yeah. where do these find these guys on on the independent leagues? How do you look at Pedro Avila throwing up an eight point something ERA and have the confidence to bring him up to the majors where he just comes up and kicks butt? I how do you do that? Well, he answers those questions for us. He he, he does. He goes, you pull your hair out a lot. You pull your hair out a lot. No, he he doesn't really say that. Um, but it's very interesting. So let's get on with it with the, with the major league minute. Um, I almost want to say this is a, like a friend of the podcast, but we've never had him on the podcast. Uh, he was really friendly to me when he was with, uh, with Lake Elsinore back in 2018 or 19, uh, Caleb Bowsley made his major league debut with the Milwaukee Brewers this year. Did you get a chance to watch that game? I did not. I only saw it on Twitter. Oh, I so I heard about it and then I saw a couple of highlights on Twitter and I thought I, I gotta watch the end of this game. I just I so a friend of ours, Cami Cruz, was in the Lake Elsinore Booster Club and she was Caleb's host mom. And I've had a chance to talk to her a couple of times since then, and she's always just brought him up in the highest of regard, just greatest guy. And then a friend of ours in section 134, Matt Collier, he's this kid that for whatever reason, he winds up meeting up with player with pitchers and forming these tight relationships with the nicest people. And Caleb is his guy. So his contract was selected by the Brewers. They brought him in in the eighth inning. It's a close game. They're in a playoff hunt. The game wound up getting tied, got tied up. He comes back in, pitches the ninth inning. You're hoping that they can walk it off. Game goes tied into extra innings. And here Caleb comes out for a third inning, pitches another really good inning in the 10th. And then they walked it off and he's out there getting in the dog pile. They're interviewing him down on the field afterwards. He's from an hour away of, right. of, of Milwaukee. <laughs> and so he had like an entire section of the ballpark. There were like 500 people. His whole hometown were out there to cheer him on. They had signs and fat heads with his picture on it and all that stuff. And just, I mean, what a fairy tale start to a major league career. And, and it really couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Like every time I would, I was, I would be in the, in the camera. Well, there's a little, little bench there in the dugout and uh, he'd sit there and like, Hey, Donovan. And like, I wouldn't know, like it was my first or second, my first year to kind of like being on the field and like, do I, 
Hey, hey, I, I didn't know if I could talk to him or not, or if I should talk to him or, or anything, but he's like, Hey, what's going on? You know? And uh, I'm like, uh, uh, nothing. What's, how you doing? Um, he was really friendly to me throughout that whole season. And, uh, he always said, hi. So I was, you could tell a good guy from a good guy and, and people that reach out like that to someone who, you know, just some random do with a, with the podcast, uh, was really cool. And it's cool that we, you know, one of the things about, following the minor league system of the Padres is we don't care where they go. If they make their debut with the Padres and do great, great. If they get traded or picked in the rule five draft, which I think he happened, happened to, uh, to Caleb in the minor league rule five, um, it goes on a success with another organization. Fantastic. We're here for the player. We're not here. We're obviously here for the organization, but we're here for the player more than anything. And that's really cool to see. All right. So speaking of good guys getting to make their debut, Friend of the podcast, Chandler Siegel, got his sele- his contract selected as uh, Luis Camposano, unfortunately, went on the injured list. We need to have, like, there should have been some kind of, like, some kind of Siegel noise when we ever, when every time we we name him, we say his name, it should be, like, some kind of. <laughs> or we should play Flock of Seagulls. And oh I ran. Well, so. So he got called up. Um, I was hoping to see him catch an inning, but unfortunately, none of the games went to a blowout. But he did get to go in and pinch hit, uh, grounded out in his one plate appearance. Let's hope that uh, he has other opportunities come next year because obviously the season's over. But at least he can say that he is a major leaguer. Absolutely. And I almost quote tweeted after the lineup came out on that last day Start Chandler Siegel, you cowards. But I just I didn't want to upset anyone. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, I was hoping that they would do the funky thing where they have people playing out of position, you know. Oh, right. Let G Man Choi get back there and play catcher, Juan Soto playing first base. I want to see some wacky stuff like that. But unfortunately, yeah. uh <laughs> they cared you a little know, too it, a little more than that. It, it's it's not, you know, it's not Wayne Wright's last game where you know people are gonna be pinch hitting and when they shouldn't be pinch hitting. I thought um, that was cool though. Very cool. And I mean, it was a meaningless game for the Cardinals, you know, and so his final appearance, not as a pitcher, but as a pinch hitter, that's going to be a, that'll be a, 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 a trivia question. Absolutely. But with all the things that, you know, they've been written about the, the, the friction between AJ Preller and Bob Melvin, um, and certainly that wasn't going to happen. I, I wanted to see the start, but, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it was great to see him get his at bat and, and I tell you, he was just, a, he was just three or four feet away from getting that knock after pitching, you know, swinging the first pitch. Oh yeah. So, All right. Well, middle. so, so you alluded to Mel uh, Preller and Melvin and a week ago, a lot of people weren't sure if one or the other or both would still be working for the Padres moving forward, but now they've come out and announced that both are going to be Padres going forward. AJ Preller is still our general manager. Bob Melvin will be the manager of the team. Um, you know, they've, they've talked about working together and, and all the stuff, you know, after the off season, you sit back and you look at the things you did well, the things you need to get better at. Um, and they're going to try to do the things that they need to get better at. And the, you know, there's always change every year. Yeah. You know, and, and, and with, and with every business, you always a good inventory is going to let you take stock in what you have. And, for for me, I, I don't take much into in, into how well a team performs with if the general manager and the manager are not getting along, or if you know. And most general managers are you know use analytics to make the lineup you know with matchups, and there might have been some you know push and pull in in who gets started, who doesn't get started. That's to be expected. But when you have a season like the Padres had, it it 
it gets magnified and you know the the national media start making a big thing out of it even if there is a little bit of smoke there but fans also are like well something needs to change and he needs to stop doing that or let this guy do his job or whatever um i think it does get a little blown out of proportion when at the end of the day they got to perform players got to play the game and they got to play and they got to win the game um much like myself if if my if if my restaurant does not do well i get in trouble but I can't make my guys prep any faster. I can't make them work any faster. If I could, I would have power and they would put me, you know, I would use to be used for a better reason than get people work faster or do better. Right. You know? Now there are things that the Padres were historically or almost historically bad at this year that definitely need to be addressed. And it's hard to put a finger on why the team struggled in close games, why they were, they were 0 and 11 in extra inning games until the very end. Uh, yeah. It seemed like every time the Padres played a rookie pitcher or somebody who was fresh up from the minors uh, without a whole lot of advanced scouting data, um, they, they were baffled by the guys. And so I'm wondering if we'll see changes in like advanced scouting or analytics or, you know, people talk about hitting. There's always this revolving. Yeah. There are people leaving the organization, people coming in. There's a whole bunch of managerial openings all over the place so who knows if a couple of guys might get uh might get poached for those other jobs it happens every off season yeah absolutely i wouldn't be surprised if matt williams did take one of those coaching jobs or even mike schilt um hell who do we have here from the reds the the, the man a former manager of the reds I oh think brian in, price brian price like those yeah. guys are all major league managers working in an organization uh two guys on the field the one in you know one in uh in development where they have a, a good chance to get an interview. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, so that's enough major league banter. We're here to talk about minor league stuff. And so we've got some, uh, some minor league awards to announce. Why don't you tell us about what happened at the MILB awards? Right. So Monday, Matt Vasquez hosted the inaugural MILB awards and the Padres had two award winners. Ethan Salas won the best MILB debut and Robbie Stelling was chosen as the all MLB on the all MLB MILB, sorry, prospect team. So we knew Salas had a chance to be special. He was ranked number one in his international signing class after all, but no one had his making him to double A at age 17 on their bingo cards. The catching phenom was advanced and mature enough to make his pro debut in full season ball, bypassing rookie level Dominican summer and Arizona complex leagues. He was often running from there, getting bumped to high A after 48 games. He was on the move after just nine more games, landing with double-A San Antonio, where he was more than seven years younger than the average Texas leaguer. That's insane. Now, you remember back in the spring when he had a, a decent debut in spring training, a surprise debut, people were saying, well, kind of a great season for him would be to do well in the Arizona Summer League and then make a debut by the end of the season in the California League. Right. And then we started to hear, well, maybe he's just going to skip rookie ball and go straight to the Cal League. And then we were thinking, hey, spend all summer in uh, in Lake Elsinore or whatever the rest of the summer there. Great job. Nobody saw him moving up two more levels. No, absolutely. And we talked to Mike Daly about that, too. It's one of the first questions we asked. And and. Throughout this season, learning about this kid um, from from people that know him, from from you know from the coaches, the the maturity level and the skill set is double A ready. Is the bat double A ready? Maybe not, but everything else is there. The bat will catch up, and 
it's just one of those crazy seasons, you know, we'll see what happens next year, but we'll, you know, stay tuned later on when we talk to Mike Dale and we ask him about that. So next was the all MILB prospect team of the year. And Robbie Snelling was named to that. Uh, Snelling's numbers on their own were stellar. The Padres Southpaw led minor league pitchers with a minimum of hundred innings pitched with a 1.82 ERA. And he was the only member of that group of 272 pitchers with a mark below two. He averaged at least one strikeout per inning across three different levels and didn't post an ERA above 2.34 at any of those stops either. The sweetener, the 2022 39th overall pick accomplished all of this in his age 19 season and now already sits only two stops away from San Diego. You know that he posted an ERA of 2.34 or lower at three different levels. That says something about his consistency that at each level, he never had a stinker of an outing. Like he would get into a little bit of trouble and he just fight his way through it. Yeah. And, and you would see, you know, in, in a ball, none the you know, fastball curveball is going to play. Like he, like that's to be expected with the stuff that he has. It's expected that he does that well. Get up to high A. You might see a little more, you know, hitters kind of sitting on some stuff, you know, not, you know, swinging at the outer, you know, off the edge of pitches or, you know, chasing stuff. Um, but we get to double A and you have that success. And he had several, several starts in, in double A. And I watched just about every start of his this year. Um, you just kept seeing these guys just missing, these missing bats, missing barrels. Absolutely. So Jeff Pontus of Baseball America wrote the article, Robbie Snelling wins Baseball America 2023 Minor League Pitcher of the Year. This isn't just single A. This isn't just California League. This isn't just Padres. This is all of Minor League Baseball. They chose him as their Minor League Pitcher of the Year. And I love this whole article. Top to bottom is fantastic. So it starts off, quote, he's a full throttle type of guy. That's how double-A San Antonio pitching coach Jeff Andrews introduced 19-year-old left-hander Robbie Snelling. Drafted out of high school in the supplemental first round in 2022, Snelling pitched at three levels in his 2023 pro debut, concluding his season with a game one start in the Texas League semifinals against Amarillo. Quote, he's unique, always with wide eyes wide open and enthusiasm, Andrews said. He's just different. You always want your players to meet you halfway. You know, here's what we're thinking. Here's what we're trying to do. Now we need you to put the effort in behind it. This guy goes 75 or 100% of the way. His openness to instruction, his openness to video, the analysis, the movement guys, he finds value everywhere. The movement guys. I love that. The movement guys. There's just guys in the organization for movement. Like that's what that is. Um, Snelling season began in low A, like Elsinore, where he worked with pitching coach Thomas Eshelman, a 2015 second rounder who pitched in the major leagues. Eshelman retired last season and provided Snelling with important early instruction that set the tone for his season. I think Lake Elsinore was a great spot for me. Snelling said, because at that point, I'll admit, I didn't really have any general idea how to be a pitcher. I'd go out and throw the ball, but the knowledge behind how to truly understand hitters, how to break down hitters and approach, it wasn't completely there yet. Tom helped me get there. For his outstanding season and upside potential, Snelling is the second ever Baseball America Minor League Pitcher of the Year. Snelling also won the Padres 2023 Minor League Player of the Year Award. Since 2000, just seven teenage minor league pitchers have recorded a sub-2 ERA with 100 innings or more. Snelling is joined on the list by Cole Hamels in 2023, Will Inman in 2026, Madison Bumgarner in 2008, who was in my wedding vows, long story, Michael Pineda in 2008, 
Jose Fernandez 2012 and Andrew Painter in 2022. Painter and Stilling were the only two to reach double A. Painter was Baseball America's 2022 minor league pitcher of the year. You're going to have to tell me that uh, Madison Bumgarner story another time. That There's got to be a good one in there. Absolutely. Okay, so Snelling found success at each minor league stop with remarkable consistency. He went five innings or more in 17 of 22 starts, plus four innings in his lone Texas League playoff start. The left-hander's ability to handle a sizable workload and maintain his potency deep into his first professional season points to work done off the field. Snelling credited an alteration in workout approaches last offseason that helped drive his 2023. Quote, I went into the offseason with my first real focused offseason of my life, said Snelling, who was busy with football in the fall and winter at Reno's McQueen High. I went to the uh, Padres player development December strength camps and then took a few weeks off after that. Everything after that was feeling out, Okay, what do I need to do to be ready for spring training with the goals I had in mind? Snelling praised the Padres strength and conditioning staff, outlining a series of workouts to set him up for success. If I had been left to my own devices, I would have gone back to what I was doing in football, Snelling said, because in my mind, I would think being strong is good. And if you go into spring training stronger than everyone else, that would be a good thing. In reality, that's not the right way to view it. It's about being strong in the right places and being mobile. This is something I came to learn this season. Andrews recalled two instances during the season where Snelling took instruction and made adjustments with excellent results. Snelling learned it slide step to quicken his time to home with speedy runners on base. He saved more than a half second off his time to home and was able to implement the slide step in the final series of the season against Springfield and minor league stolen base champion, Victor Scott, the second, the second adjustment was a change made by stealing himself. After pitching out of the stretch all season, he returned to a full windup. He used in high school over his final three starts. We had switched to the stretch to help me get used to throwing from it. So I'd be prepared. For pre- I would be prepared when runners were on base. Snelling said, despite throwing exclusively from the stretching games, I had continued to throw out of the windup in every bullpen this season. <clears throat> Along the way, Snelling altered his changeup grip and found the best version of his off-speed pitch to date. Like most prep power pitchers, he had little occasion to throw a changeup to high school hitters. My changeup was a few miles per hour off my fastball and didn't move as well as I wanted it to, Snelling said. So that was a huge emphasis going into 2022 instructs, and then spring training, and then throughout the season. Snelling said he used one grip for the first two months of the season before finding a grip he preferred in bullpen sessions. It got to the point that by the end of the year, I was as confident throwing my changeup as I was with my fastball or curveball. It became a strikeout pitch for me. Now Snelling is comfortable throwing any of his three pitches in any count. He has the confidence to throw his power curveball, an 81 to 83 mile an hour pitch with a slurvy shape, nearly as often as his fastball when behind in the count. He pounds the zone with his low to mid 90s fastball that features an above average combination of ride and run. Over the course of the 2023 season, Snelling didn't just produce on the stat sheet. He made meaningful strides in game preparation and training while enhancing his pitching savvy. That's the sort of player development that separates good pitching prospects from great ones. You know, there's just, like you said, there's just so much good stuff in here in this article. Jeff Pontes did a really great job. The strength and conditioning. I remember he talked about that when I talked to him on media day. Um, he talked about like he spent all that year in, in, transitioning from baseball from football into baseball and like like he said there's more than just going in being strong you need to be flexible you need to have mobility it's a baseball body and a football body they're two different things 
Right. And so talking about working with Tom Eshelman and learning an approach, how to attack hitters, how to, how to manage, uh, how to pitch, how to become a pitcher rather than just a thrower. Cause like it said, he could just go pound fastballs after guys in high school yeah. didn't really have to mess with the change up or the, the curveball much. And now he's learning how to mix all that together. Um, his mechanics. So he's, so he's making adjustments in every phase of his game. He's changed. He went to a slide step. He took a half second off his, his, his to home time oh, yeah. and then bringing the windup back into things the last three, three starts. And then plus the pitch mechanics and, and working on a changeup grip in the middle of the season and, and playing with a pitch mix, like every single phase you're, we're used to hearing guys picking up one or two things throughout a season to reach that next level. And he's, he's working on everything all at once. Pretty much. I mean, you, really you, this is like three years of, of development and things that you change throughout your minor league career, maybe, you know, not necessarily in one year during the season. Right. And so he's straight out of high school. So usually these guys aren't worth used to that kind of a workload, but he was able to answer the bell every single time out pitching deep as deep into games as you would expect somebody of his age to do. Um, I mean, just an outstanding season top to bottom. So congratulations to him for being named baseball America's pitcher of the year. Hell yeah. Finally, finally, that's just, it's, you know, I watched just about every start from him this year and every start I was just like, he would, a couple guys would get on and he would get out of it. That bulldog, you know, the football bulldog mentality would come in and that's the stuff you want to see from major league pitchers. And it's funny watching a baseball game, you know, a couple of guys gets on base and literally will just go like, God damn it. They're going to give up runs. Like the good pitchers know how to you know, will pitch into trouble, but know how to pitch out of it. And that's the outlier. That's how you can have, a sub two ERA, you know, through three different levels. Yeah. Outstanding. All right. So we've got a few more snippets about some other players that uh, we're excited about. Everybody's excited about. Uh, but first let's take a look ahead to the AFL that just kicked off. Um, Donovan, I understand there are some rule changes for the AFL this, this spring, this fall. There are, there are some several, there are several rule changes, some kind of funky ones that we're going to get into in a minute and some kind of ones that it's going to kind of quicken up the game and kind of tighten up the whole pitch timer which is that to collect more data, the AFL's modified pitch timer will have 15 seconds between pitches with the bases empty and 18 seconds with runners on MLB has experimented with various combinations for the pitch timer, including 15 seconds, 15, 17 seconds in single a California league in 21, 14, 18 in most minor leagues in 2022 and 23 and both 15 and 19 and 17 and 17 in triple a this season. That's 15 seconds in between pitches, 17 seconds. And the second number is with runners on. Uh, the timer is 15-20 in the major leagues. On average, the big leaguers this year, pitchers had anywhere from 5.6 to 7.8 seconds remaining on the timer when they begin their motions, depending on the situation. Another alteration now, to the timer. Now we, we, we had heard from, from batters that they – the difference between the pitch clock when there's no runners on and the pitch clock when there are runners on was kind of messing their rhythm up. Like they finally got their routine so that 15 seconds they're in the box, they're ready. And then you get a runner on and there's that extra five seconds that they're just kind of standing there getting iced while the pitcher can hold onto that ball and kind of try to ice the runner a little bit. So I, I think the intent was that, Typically, you're you've got they're looking over, they're stepping off, they're yeah. you've got signs, you're shaking shaking the the catcher off more. But I think with pitchcom and everything else that changed this year, you're not seeing that 
need for the extra time when a runner's on base as much. Yeah, and you saw a big change in guys like Juan Soto and Manny Machado who take a long time in between pitches having to make that adjustment and struggling through it. Like those guys struggled getting to the pitch timer, um, but going on here. So another alteration to the timer rules in the AFL will be the timing, the timer resetting immediately when a batter uses his timeout at the big league level. The timer has typically restarted after a timed out only when a batter approaches the box. This tweak tightens up the time between the timeout and the next pitch. Is there a set time that that timeout is supposed to grant them? No, it just seems like they step out. You know, we'll take a second, then walk back in, and that's when you see the arm go up with the with the circle and start the clock again. Right, but if there, I've, I've no imagine time. there, I I got to imagine, yeah, there probably is. Um, just don't have it in front of me. All right, so the next one is the runner's lane. So MLB Rule five point zero nine A states a batter is out when in running the last half of the distance from home base to first, while the ball is being fielded to first base. They run outside to the right of the three-foot line or inside to the left of the foul line. And in the umpire's judgment, in doing so, interfere with the fielder taking the throw at first base, in which case the ball is dead. Boy, there's a lot of legalese in Major League Baseball rules. There is. So in the AFL, the 45-foot runner's lane, which begins halfway between home plate and first base, will be maintained. But instead of forcing the runner to be in foul territory rather than the foul line, the runner will now be deemed in compliance with the rule as long as both feet remain on the dirt path between home and first. So he can be inside and outside. Whenever I played, you know, hit a dribbler off the line, you run on the, you know, you try to run on the line. So you're trying to stop that lane from the getting thrown to first base. So this will allow a right-handed hitter to run directly to first base. Right. That was what people would always argue about. Okay. Right-handed hitter, you hit a squibber and then you run straight to first base and you're in violation of the rule. Yeah. You have to swerve to the right to get into that lane and then step left when you get to the bag. Yeah. So in game six of the 2019 world series, the nationals Trey Turner was correctly called out for interfering for running to the called out for interference for running to the left of the foul line on an important play under the AFL rule. Turner would have been safe. Had both feet remained on the dirt path, even if they were left of the foul line. It's an interesting little adjustment to the rule. I, I get it. It, it. It's always kind of seemed weird to me that you have, you have that dirt path, but the runner's only allowed to use the right hand half of it and a foot and a half or so of the grass but they, they can't run on the dirt over there. They can run on the dirt over here. It's like kind of arbitrary. Um, and I understand the intent, but it's kind of weird. Yeah. There's more intent and kind of weirdness coming on here. So blocking bases with the <laughs> new, with new rules at the MLB level, creating more base stealing attempts. There have been complaints from runners about fielders engaging in more base blocking with their bodies, though MLB rules for runners and catchers on plays at the plate base blocking at the other bases is technically legal. It's, Inevitable that someone's going to get hurt, Pirate star Andrew McCutcheon told The Athletic this season. The only thing we can do is slide chest or cleats first and possibly injure the fielder or injure both of us. In the AFL, defenders will be required to provide the runner with a lane to the base. The runner will be called safe if the umpire judges that the runner's progress was impeded by the defender. There will be no exceptions made for throws that take the fielder into the path of the runner, though exceptions will be made if the umpire teams that the impeded runner would have been out anyway, or if the fielder impeded the runner while fielding a batted ball. 
This rule is also responsive to the increased tendency of runners to use headfirst slides to avoid popping off the base and being ruled out on replay reviews. An unimpeded path to the base will allow them to use such slides more safely. So I like this rule. Um, I mean, the, the intent here is that, okay, runners coming into second base and he just drops his whole shin down in front of the bag. So even if he slides in, he still has no access to the bag, whether right. the fielder has the ball or not. I've always felt that the fielder shouldn't be able to do that until they have the ball, which is what this rule says. Um, what kind of makes me cringe a little bit is all the stuff that has happened with this play at home plate yeah. and how that rule has been has been enforced. I I like the intent of the rule. It might not even be written all that poorly, but the way that they're using it in Major League Baseball is so up, so backwards sometimes. Well, it, it always seems to go against the Padres, too. <laughs> that, too. Maybe I'm a little bit biased. But, yeah, I mean, you've got the runner coming halfway down the line, and Austin Nola's pinky toe is over in front of the corner, <laughs> and he catches the ball, and they say, oh, no, the runner is safe because 30 feet away, he wasn't giving him a lane. Like, come on, use some common yeah. sense here. I, You know, we talk about judgment calls with umpires, and, you know, they should be able to use their judgment. But the problem is so many times we see just a lack of common sense and it's, it's frustrating. Absolutely. So some of, <clears throat> so some of the other rules are the pitchers will be required to work out of the stretch with runners on base rather than declaring whether they're working out of the windup or stretch. This is meant to avoid the confusion created when a pitcher forgets to declare that he is working out of the windup with a man aboard and is called for a balk when he does not deliver the pitch in un uninterrupted motion now who works out of the windup with a runner on base with right on i third can't base? think i can't think of ever seeing a pitcher work out of the windup with a runner on maybe with volga back he's not going to steal you don't need to really pitch from the stretch i don't know i guess i don't know that's kind of that's that's a weird one to me now this so, next one i like yeah so here's the other one <clears throat> The automated strike ball challenge system will be used again in the AFL, and it was in 2022. The change is that the ABS strike zone for each player will be based on his specific stance calculated from the median of his previous 50 plate appearances. So that's data automatically, you know, that's instant data. That's not just the guy standing basically a median level of the strike zone rather than his height. MLB implemented his cha this change to ABS late in the AAA season last se last year. So a couple of years ago, when they start first started using it, I think I heard that they had they had people setting where the top and the bottom of the strike zone were going to be for each player. And then we heard that they were using percentages of the player's height. Well, what if a player has a long torso and short legs? Or what if the player's stance, like I think back to the 80s, Rod Carew would crouch down and he had this real short strike zone. And then you had Mickey Tuttleton that would stand pretty much straight up and down. And so his strike zone should be taller. So yeah. what this is doing, they use the Hawkeye system the last couple of years. Now they're using Hawkeye, which doesn't just track the ball doesn't just track where the entire player's location is but it can actually determine where their shoulders are where their hips are where their knees are so they have that data to biometrically define the upper and lower limits of the strike zone and that's technology at work right there yeah absolutely and if you ever watch the game the game in 3d on mlp game day you see everything you see you see them moving around like it's like it's live action but in in animated form because it's yeah that, like it's that technology that they're using to to track the guys stepping out of the bag 
Uh, you know, stepping it's out like of the Tron, Tron baseball. Pretty much. Okay, so here's the other one. There will be a rule addressing the recent trend of players running through second base on force plays. The base running tactic can allow a run to score from third if the runner can beat the throw by sprinting through the bag, negating the force, and delaying the tag for the out. It can also technically technically create replay reviews issues in which the runner beats the throw by sprinting and is ruled safe despite having run through the bag. In the AFL, the runner is not intending to reach and stay on the base safely or advance to the next base will be called out. This is an odd one. And this had me kind of wrinkling my brow thinking, what is the situation? But I'm wondering if like, okay, you got a runner on third, you've got a, a, a ground ball, two outs, ground ball, the you got a force out at second and the runner from third comes and scores, but the force out negates the run scoring. So now rather than the runner sliding into second base, like they're supposed to, if they just run straight through second base, like they're running to first, they might be able to get to the base before the ball and then you have to tag them or they're ruled out because they went out of the base path or something like that. I, 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 that's the only situation I can really think of, yeah, but this I, means somebody I, must have done it somewhere. And, and where the hell were we when this was not mentioned? I mean, I, I watch a ton of baseball and none of this was ever mentioned before. And every time I played, if you run past the bag, you either keep running <laughs> Or that's it. You're done. You're toast. This is a softball. <laughs> I'm, picturing, um, I'm picturing Forrest Gump running through the end zone right? and then straight out the tunnel. <laughs> and I just kept on running. It's <laughs> ah, funny. So those are some of the rules. We'll see how they go. I, I really like the uh, the automatic strike zone. I saw a lot of that this year in AAA. It's not like the review. It's instantaneous. It's done in three seconds. The 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 catcher or batter, if they want to challenge a pitch, they they tap their head. And then they show it up on the board, the strike zone, the trajectory of the ball is either a ball or a strike, and it's done that quick. It's not like replay where it's 30 seconds. Okay, now we're going to review it, and that's going to take two to four minutes, and then we're going to stop the game, and this is going to happen, and someone's not going to be happy. No, no. it's it, it takes longer for some guys to step out of the box and adjust their batting gloves. Yeah. All right, so let's move on. We got a couple articles here about a few of the players that are heading to Arizona Fall League this year. Um, I think some interesting little data nuggets dropped out in these articles here. So the first one up, MLB.com, Sam Dykstra, each club's best prospect headed to the Arizona Fall League, and he chose Nathan Martorella. You could go with any one of Martorella, Graham Pauly, or Jacob Marcy, currently ranked at spots 10, 11, and 12 in our Padres Top 30 in this spot and not be wrong. For his part, Martorella pro- proved he can reach base at a solid clip with a 371 on base percentage over 112 games at high A Fort Wayne and showed solid power in his first full season with 19 homers in 135 contests total between Fort Wayne and AA San Antonio. Here's the part I found interesting. Elevating the ball should be a point of emphasis to get that pop to play even more after 50% of his batted balls were on the ground. So I always wonder when guys go to sprint to Arizona Fall League, are they going with a mission? Do they? Is there something they're specifically trying to work on? Some guys are playing a different position. Pitchers right. are maybe working on using a different pitch in certain situations. Um, this would be a good opportunity for him to maybe try a couple little mechanical tweaks and put them into play in competitive games against premium pitching without the numbers really mattering. 
Right. And you know, the consequences of trying to make an adjustment in the middle of a season, particularly with batted, you know, with, with batting is huge. And then you're with all these other different coaches from different organizations, different players that are trying different things. You get, you know, a fresh perspective, maybe some other ideas from, from other organizations and philosophies where it might click. And you hear that stuff all the time where, where guys pick up things from other players where they talk about it in the off season or they're just maybe during the game, they, they mention it. Um, and it's a, a, done at a safe space at an elevated level of play. So you can see if it's working or not, but I love the tank commander. Love this kid. What a great opportunity for these guys. Okay. So then Josh Norris of baseball America, he wrote an article called 10 Arizona fall league sleepers to watch in 2023. And he, as well, chose Nathan Martarella. He says top Padres prospects usually fit the mold of the tooled up high risk, high reward player with immense ceilings, but plenty of room to fail. Martarella is the opposite. He's a gifted hitter who produced on base ability and power spread across two levels. The fifth rounder out of California from 2022 did a fantastic job this season of staying within the strike zone and making contact with strikes. The result was 49 extra base hits, 30 doubles and 19 home runs. As, and nearly as many walks, 82, as strikeouts, 101, and a strikeout rate of just 17%. So that, I mean, we talk about his power and how he's hitting these mammoth home runs, but he's getting on base a ton. He's not swinging and missing. He's not swinging at bad pitches. He's walking plenty. So he's a, a very high quality hitter on top of having the power. Yeah. What, what really struck out with me uh, is the 30 doubles. Like I think he would have ten more doubles if he didn't hit the ball so darn hard off the right field wall. Like he hit these lasers, <laughs> and it would bounce so hard back to the guy. Like it's a long single because it's just it was just just rocketed. The kid uh, hits a baseball incredibly hard. I mean, it just it's such a short, compact, powerful swing that I really feel bad for the baseball after he hits it. And you know this, he's a little bit chunky. He's got a little. He's got a. I wouldn't say half. He's just a. He's just a little stocky, but he runs really well. You know, that's a good point because Fort Wayne has a high wall in yeah. right field and it's a little bit short, uh, but that high wall kind of keeps it honest for home runs. So yeah, the, uh, the fielder can play a little bit shallow there and then play that carom off the wall. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here's, uh, here's each team sleeper prospect in the fall league. Uh, as MLB pipeline, you know, Jonathan Mayo, Sam Dykstra, and Jim Callis. Uh, they chose Cole Paplum, right-handed pitcher. Got a chance to see him in Lake Elsinore this year. Guy throws hard. He's fantastic. And, and this is a lot to be said about this kid. Much was made about Ethan South and Robbie Snelling climbing from single A to double A in the first full season as well. Paplum did the same. I bet older as a 23-year-old who signed as an undrafted free agent out of the University of New Orleans. The six-foot-three right-hander moved quickly on the strength of his 95 to 97 mile an hour per hour fastball and his 85 to 87 mile an hour sweeping slider, the latter of which was a huge bat misser in 2023. Paplum already has the makings of a developmental win for the San Di for San Diego. And is with the stuff, and if the stuff holds up in the AFL, he'll be even more prominent arm in the system heading into 2024. You know, he has that kind of profile to move fast. You know, somebody yeah. that that throws strikes has the power fastball and the good breaking ball. You you could see him. You know, a good season next year yeah. could have him knocking on the door. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly up into AAA, um, and then also Arizona Fall League pitchers with outlier traits. This is also from Jeff Pontes from uh, from Baseball America. Cole Paplum was mentioned in three of five categories in the article. 10 to 12 pitchers were listed in each category. 
So for him, it was the flamethrowers. He throws 97 miles per hour. Swing and miss breaking balls at 53.7% whiff rate. And best pitches by X stuff plus, which is 131. So that's a metric that Baseball America came up with uh, to evaluate just how nasty somebody's stuff is. And it's since it's the the plus at the end means it's weighted. So 100 is average. That means his breaking ball plays at 31% better than the average average breaking ball at the level that he was pitching at. So all of that says the underlying numbers give you reason for him you know, to understand why he's popping the way that he is. Yeah, and and they had this kid come out of uh, undrafted, a uh, little bit older than twenty three, so they will probably push him to to keep his age kind of appropriate with the stuff as well. Um, what's one of the questions we asked to uh, to Mike was, where do you find these guys? And he just, you know, it's the scouts. If there's one thing that Preller's organization does, and his and his staff, they find the talent and they get them. They, you know, it's one of the things that when everyone was drafted this year. Um, you know, Conniff and, and the Madfires guys were like, everyone's going to sign. That's what they do. Like, like Preller gets these guys, his scouts get draft guys that are going to sign. Right. And they've also, over the course of, of Preller's time with the Padres, I feel like the player development staff has been doing a better and better job as time has gone by. Um, I think he's learned to target He's gone away from the super high ceiling but high risk kind of guys. Right. And he's he's found guys that have that 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 nice baseball foundation, the the underlying skills. Um, so you don't see the the buddy reed type draftee that I mean, great guy, don't get me wrong, but Absolutely. the the hit tool just wasn't there. He had the power, he had the speed, but once he got out of low A, it just it just wasn't there. Yeah. And you're not really seeing that a whole lot anymore out of the guys that they're drafting. Yeah, absolutely. So one final article to talk about here. So again, Baseball America, this time Dylan White, he's more of a prospect guy, uh, a fantasy guy. He says 11 hitting prospects with underlying stat cast data to target in fantasy. And he wrote about Graham Pauly. Of all minor league hitters, 22 or younger with at least 200 plate appearances, there are 10 with a contact rate better than 80%, with a chase rate, barrel rate, and 90th percentile exit velocity better than average. Of these players, Graham Pauly has the highest ex-Wobicon. Mmm, bacon. Mmm, bacon. So that's expected weighted on-base average on, on contact. So basically, the balls that he hits in play what are the chances that he's doing good damage with him? Uh, and he's also tied for the most with stolen bases. So the 13th round pick in 2022 out of Duke has played mostly third base, mixing in some second base in left field and made it all the way to double A San Antonio, gathering 23 home runs, 22 stolen bases across three levels. Pair that with great reports on his makeup and the Padres look like they have a solid bat capable of putting up 20 home run, 10 stolen base seasons. So yeah. earlier this season, people were getting real excited about him. And I'm always like, okay, cool your jets, right. calm down. But as the season has gone by and as strong as he's finished, like I'm, I'm starting to believe in the hype that another good year and who knows where he might wind up the end of next season. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's one of those things I was on the way home from work today and I was thinking about, you know, today and thinking about Paulie and, and thinking about the hype behind, like, remember Luis Urias was like California league batting champion, just kept hitting every, just the expectations became so high with him. 
hit a like a hundred, you know, hit a four hundred foot bomb in the AFL off a hundred mile an hour pitch, and then made it to the majors. And it took him a while, and he didn't really he struggled with the Padres, and and it took him a while to establish himself with the Brewers. Um, I, I see Paulie as a different hitter. It's a different load. Um, it, it's a different player than what we see in Luis Urias. And you're right. I like, I'm, I believe the hype. I, I, I believe I, I'm on board. I'm on the grand poly train. And I think the, uh, the makeup that they talk about here uh, from Dylan uh, is um, he listened to the podcast and our interview with him. <laughs> so Luis, it's interesting. You bring up Luis Urias because he was, I think he was one of those guys that could hit the ball hard, but he hit a lot of ground balls. And I'm wondering if he was one of these guys that could exploit defenses in the low minors um, because the the infields are a lot more porous. You know, you can hit the ball hard on the ground and there are a lot of hits to be found there. But then once you get up to double A, especially triple A, that's no longer the case where with him, he seemed to change his approach, started lifting the ball and kind of selling out for power. He he stopped going the other way, started pulling the ball a lot more uh, where Polly so far sprays the ball a lot, uses the entire field line drive kind of approach. Uh, so whatever he's doing is working. And I hope there's that they don't really mess with them a whole lot in the next year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll see how the rest of the season starts with, uh, with the AFL. So let's get into our quick affiliate rundown. <laughs> Courtesy of Roy. That was very Roy of you. Very nice. So, um, so the, so the game started, so the season started this weekend and the starting pitcher for the the Javelinas was Braden Nett. Nett was the other half of the pitcher's duel in Scottsdale, and more held up his end of the bargain. He tied his career with six strikeouts across four scoreless innings, allowing just three hits and two walks. Better yet, he only needed 45 pitches despite going deep into counts to rack up Ks. Nett has struck out six batters in the professional game twice before, but they came in starts in single A and the rookie-level Arizona Complex League. So it's exciting to see perhaps his best strikeout performance against his toughest competition yet. Another undrafted guy. This is the guy that I, I saw pitch for the first time behind um, after I saw interviewed Homer Bush Jr. and decided to stick around for a game. Who's this? Okay, Brandon Nett. Holy cow. 96, 95. He was sitting 96. Snapping um, off some nasty looking breaking balls. Nasty looking breaking balls. And I'm like, who the hell is this kid? Um, saw his next start after that, you know, on MILB TV, and he did real well. Undrafted, lots of raw talent there, but to see him do so well, undrafted against such high caliber talent, like I I'm like I said it before on Twitter, like, look out for this kid. You know, he could be something once again, going back to the scouting and development of you know the scouting department of the Padres to find these guys and sign them. And it's up to Mike Daly, who we're going to talk to here in a minute to develop them. So we were talking about Pauly and uh, Luis Urias. I thought I'd go back and pull up. So my recollection was correct. So Urias in rookie ball, low A and regular A ball, his ground ball rate was above 60%. um, And it stayed above 50% all the way up until until after he made his major league debut. And then 2019, that ground ball rate dropped in triple A to below 40%. And his, his pull rate also increased a little bit. Now flip over to Pauly, his ground ball rate 2022 was about in the thirties, the low thirties this year, his ground ball rate is still below 40% overall. Um, And he's also, he pulls the ball about half the time. 
Um, so yeah, line drives, not putting the ball on the ground, exploiting the defenses the way that Rias did. So I thought that was an interesting name to pull. And I like, I like trying to, you know, find differences between guys. And I, I, I really like Polly's whole hitting approach. His whole profile right now is really exciting. So yeah. You shared that slow motion from the home run that you're that you're about to talk about here. Um, his mechanics are so clean, and I I hadn't seen that slowed down. His hands when he gets into his load, his hands hardly move. They just kind of he he picks the bat up off his shoulder a little bit, and then his hands go direct to the ball. There's no loop. There's no hitch. There's nothing. Yeah, and, and the high leg kick there. Uh, you would think would be susceptible to off-speed pitches, but I see him rake. The ball he hit last night was an off-speed pitch. It's a tight, compact swing, and you're right, direct to the ball, no looping swing, and it's just like it, we're on the train. We're on the poly train. So last night, for the first game, Jacob Marcy started in center field. He went two for three with a run, an RBI, and a base on ball. And then later on in the game, Paulie pinch hit for him, and he went two for he got two knocks, including a um a knock with it was it, the game was tied in the tenth inning. His knock broke the tie. And nice. then last then last night's game, you had. Marcy start leading off playing center field made a great diving catch. The, the the video is horrible. I posted on Twitter, but the video out of the AFL is is really bad. It's not great. But Seems like see, oftentimes it's the the full field video. Right, so you're like looking the at the training, entire right? field, and so everybody's a little ant out there. So you see, you see, you see Marcy make this dive, and even the the announcers like. Oh, they just called him out like like 15 seconds later. Made a great dive. Um, he had a knock last night. Uh, Pauly just one of the things I love about the AFL is it's quiet. So when you hit the ball, you hear this crack. And he smoked the ball. It was an off-speed pitch. And he just he he hit a laser out last night in his first full game. Um, one of the other pitches that came in last night that I really enjoyed, uh, Francis Penny in that first game. He uh, he came in later on and gave up like four runs. That's fine. He's very young guy, but um, Emmanuel Pinales pitched three innings last night, and the the broadcasters were just heaping praise on on the stuff, on the shape of his pitches, how he was pitching. Uh, the the analyst was I can't remember his name, but he was a former major league pitcher and was just heaping all this praise. And he was striking guys out. He gave up a home run, you know, gave up his share of hits, but. Just was like, I'm like, wow, they're really talking him up. Um, we saw him a little bit in Lake Elsinore. I think he made might have made it up to uh Fort Wayne last year or this year, sorry, but um, I was really impressed with that. And the yeah, he, he only he only pitched in Lake Elsinore, uh, yeah. and that was his first experience of uh, of you know, away from the complex ball. He pitched in nine games. Uh, with Lake Elsinore. So we've hardly seen much of him. That's a little surprise. Usually the guys that go to the AFL have seen plenty of time in low A, maybe a little bit of, of double A. Uh, so it's a little surprising to see somebody as as green as Pinales, but I love hearing the uh, the exciting scouting reports on him. Absolutely. So then Pauly went, you know, hit the bomb last night. He's hitting 455. One of the things I thought about with the pitching that got sent to the AFL it's one of those things where you would think it would be a more established pitcher that you wanted to showcase. This is why we don't scout the stat line sometimes because these guys have the stuff. I mean, you heard him. I heard these guys talking about him last night. It was like, God dang, is it that good? I mean, like we only, I only see what I see. Um, so I think these guys that the Padres like their underlying numbers that, that, um, that don't show up. 
that they like about these guys, and they're going to put them up against higher level pitching and higher level competition. Sorry to uh, to see what they got. Well, and the workload probably plays a factor as well. Absolutely. So Pinales only pitched in 15 games this year. He's got 60 innings on the season. Uh, so I don't know what the story was during the regular season, but he's got he's got plenty of work left to do to catch up to the guys that have been pitching all season. Um, so I'm sure that's that's a factor. There's only so many guys that still have enough gas in the tank to go another whatever 15, 20 games in the Arizona Fall League season. Yeah. So you guys, there's going to be plenty of AFL news this this year. There's AFL every um every night. One of the games are streamed. I'm missing it tonight because we're podcasting. Um, but you guys catch it. I watch the game day w- w- every night. Um, there's that. We'll be covering that and any other news for minor league baseball. And then we've got interviews lined up with some players and maybe try to reach out to maybe some other front office staff. Perhaps to talk to some guys, but we're gonna yep, have plenty we, we've more. We've got we got winter league to talk about. Yeah, that's all kicking off right now. Uh, and then all the transactions and hirings and off-season stuff that happens. Um, and then I'm sure there's gonna be some league-wide news. There's always changes to the ML the MILB landscape in the off-season. So we're just gonna keep trucking on. All right, you guys well, listen to but, our interview with Mike Daly. What a Hey, we're happy to be joined here with Mike Daly, the Assistant Director of Player Development. Mike, this is a good get. Welcome to Friars on the Farm. No, absolute pleasure to be here. Sorry it's taking me so long to uh, jump on here. It's it's nice to see that you're in Arizona working diligently on developing our young guys. What what camp is going on right now? So we've been going through an instructional league uh, right now. It's been going on for about the past like a full four and a half weeks. It'll, It'll wrap up here on Thursday the 5th. We've been playing games on a Tuesday, Thursday, and a Saturday. We've had like a lot of our guys that were in our Arizona uh, group here. And then um, as guys like wrapped up the year there in uh, Lake Elsinore, Fort Wayne, those guys, you know, started to come out to Arizona. So it's been a really good couple of weeks out here. It's been hot, but like, you know, really are a kickoff towards the uh, 2024 uh, season. You know, know, we haven't heard anything about fall instructs. And usually there's a roster that drops or something like that. It's been real quiet this year. I think it's a little different this year with like the minor league seasons going so late. You know, normally it would be by Labor Day that all the minor league seasons are over. Um, you know, this year with the minor league season wrapping up on September 11th, September 17th, it's a little bit later. Um, so, yeah. And then we're in like a year's past, we've you know gone to San Diego, you know, either played, you know, USD or or the Aztecs. Uh, we're, we're not doing that this year. So been like a little like a quieter than like a year's past, uh, like, they, like a, a, a smaller group. But it's still been like you know, really, really uh, productive for like everybody out here. All right, all right. So hey, now you in your second year as the assistant director of player development, uh, and it's you and Riley. Um, it's your system now. So what? What if any changes have happened since the last uh, director of, of of player development? What have you guys implemented differently than prior uh, directors? Sure. No, it's been a. Uh like a great opportunity for me personally, but it, it really is like, like the Padre, you know, player development program. And there've been so many like you know, great people who have, who have, you know, like, like I've been here for a number of years. Um, and I've been you know, very lucky to be able just to help, help Riley and help our, you know, whole, you know, organization in terms of, uh, you know, what we, what our aim is, which is to help our players ultimately. So we've had like a number of, you know, turnover over the past couple of years, you know, you know, brought in a uh, you know director of pitching. Um, we promoted Mike McCoy to the to the to the role of like a hitting coordinator. 
Uh, we've had like a couple, you know, like, like uh, managers come in. Um, so it's been really good in terms of like the number of people that we've, we've brought in. There've been so many people here that have, have jumped into different roles. You know, Johnny Matthews up there with the, with, with, with the 10 caps, uh, pizza more out there and, you know, like a Lake yeah. Elsinore. So it's been like, like a number of you know, positives for me personally to see got, you know, people like, you know, inside the organization that love the Padres and have jumped into different roles. We've been able to bring in a couple, you know, like a you know, difference making people we have think from, you know, outside the you know organization, but, you know, hopefully we're kind of you know, at that point where there's not that much turnover and we continue to really like a push forward, you know, with the people in our system now. So technology is something that's been changing quite a bit as, as you've been around baseball, um, you know, the advent of pitch tracking and motion tracking and, and even access to video. Um, how do you balance that information as well as what your coaches are seeing without overwhelming a player? That's a excellent question. and something that we fight and talk about all the time. So I think what, you know, when you're with some of these coaches that have been around for like a number of years, you know, you're, they, they're able to see when a guy has ride you know, on his fastball. Now it's called, you know, induced vertical break. Um, I mean, but these guys were able to see that. Whenever you see like a really good, like a slider, like now you can kind of, you know, put like a number to it. So I think more oftentimes than not, like, you know, 90% of the time, kind of what your eyes see kind of tells you, you know, that guy has like a, has a, a really good pitch. I think now what you're really doing is you're really able to you know, work on the margins, really able to, you know, optimize those exact pitches, on the pitching side, you're able to do do like a number of things, you know, on the on the hitting side, you know, defense as, as well. But I think a lot of the you know, technology has really helped the pitching side, and it's just a matter of you know really kind of working in those you know in the margins, you know, as I said earlier, to be able to really optimize you know every pitcher. So in season, how do you deploy that kind of information among the different affiliates? I would imagine like maybe at the lower levels, you're trying to leave guys alone and kind of let them get their feet wet. And at the higher levels, maybe you have more opportunities for, for, for instruction. Sure. No, that's a you know, excellent point. I think that every pitcher, especially I was, you know, talk about the pitching side from like a foundational aspect, you know, first and foremost, guys have to throw the ball in the zone. And I think that for guys to be able to you know, do that, that's like the first thing that they have to do as they continue to kind of graduate up uh, levels. Then we have the opportunity to really, you know, partner with them. We have more information on their uh, pitches, like, you know, how their pitches play. We have a huge database, like all teams do, in terms of thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of uh, pitches and, like, kind of what those kind of attributes are for, you know, each pitch and what, like, gives, like, a, you know, guy to have, like, like the best chance to, you know, maximize his uh, pitch. But you're right. I mean, what we're talking about in the, you know, Arizona League is far different than what we're talking about in the Texas League or what we're talking about that in uh, El, El Paso. Uh, but first and foremost, guys have to be able to throw the ball in the zone. And then as they, you know, move up level by level, we'll start to maybe attack the fastball. We'll start to attack the, like a slider. We'll start to attack his changeup. We'll start to maybe, you know, lower his uh, arm slot. So there are like a number of things that the technology like allows us to do. But again, it's like a progress or it's a uh, still have to hit the, hit, hit the base level stuff at the lowest level. And then to be able to, you know, work up, you know, level by level. And then to be able to add more and more to the uh, player's plate. Okay, so every affiliate has its own characteristics. Uh, you know, the Cal League is kind of a, a hitter's league. Fort Wayne is kind of pitcher-friendly. Evaluating players through different their differences, uh, does that make it a challenge? I mean, the PCL must just drive you guys nuts. Uh, yeah, the PCL is a definite challenge. Um, I think what you see ultimately there in the PCL is you're going to give up your home runs. Um, you know, similar to the Cal League, it's like a little, it's a definite hitter's league there in the PCL. 
Um, but I think what you see about guys that have gotten called up to the big leagues is, you know, again, you got to be able to th- throw the ball over the plate. You got to have the courage to be able to do that. And you might give up a 500-foot homer, but a short memory goes a long way. Um, and guys that are continuing to, you know, to be able to get on the mound and just, you know, keep on pounding strikes, those guys typically, as we've kind of seen, um, are guys that have been able to kind of break through there in El Paso and ultimately graduate up to a San Diego. So it's tough. It's, like, you know, definitely, definitely tough, but it takes a lot of courage to be able to pitch in that PCL for sure. Well, so one of those graduates is Pedro Avila, and I looked up his numbers. He's got an 8.57 ERA and a 1.85 whip in El Paso. How do you guys look at what he's doing and ignore those numbers? What are the things you guys are looking at that told you he's ready? Because he's been really good with the big league yeah. team. Yeah. Uh, he's been outstanding. I think with a lot of these players, you're looking at, at their track record. You know, Pedro, um, it wasn't ideal this year at the, at the uh, AAA level. Um, you know, Pedro was, I think, like the biggest thing on Pedro, Pedro, you know, got the opportunity in San Diego and took advantage. And, you know, maybe it wasn't, you know, in the plans, but, you know, as he continues to, to uh, you know, pitch well there in San Diego, you know, AJ, Bob, Ruben, he, he's staying. So I think it's like a you know, big, big credit to how, you know, Pedro has a pitch this year that that breaking ball plays for yeah. sure. He throws a ton of strikes. Uh, it's maybe not typical in terms of, you know, what, that uh, you know line looked like there at El Paso to you know merit that uh, you know opportunity at the big league level, but when Pedro got the opportunity, to his credit, he took all the advantage of it, and it's been great to see. No, he was sandwiched in between when he made his first double A start a few years back. He was sandwiched in between two friends of the podcast and Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino. <laughs> then he came up from double eight, and we're like, "Here we go, let's go!" Because we seen him up here in uh, in Lake or in Lake Elsinore, just north of us. And uh, we see these guys come up and they make these spot starts. We're like, all right. And, you know, at a time when that rotation wasn't so great, but he had a great start. And then, you know, it was really just a spot start. Um, how how has the MLB Partner League relationship changed uh, player development? Do they have access? They have access to the data. You guys have access to their data. Yeah, I think we you know with the roster limits that were you know, implemented a couple of years ago. It's it's been you know challenging for for all teams. Uh, it's you know, hundred and 180 right now in season. It's going to go down to 165 next year. Um, maybe not as many opportunities for a players. You know, certainly, like the draft has been cut down. We have not you know, pulled over as many players out of our Dominican Summer League program. Um, I think what it has done is it's really provided some opportunities for players to you know, move up levels, you know, maybe quicker than uh, in the like a past years. Uh, I think that you know, some of the you know, upper levels are you know, get younger because there aren't as, as many players in the system. Um, so yeah, like the partner league is there to allow, you know, other you know, to like allow players the opportunity to a play uh, and then kind of as needed, if we need, um, you know, players, we can you know, certainly go there or those players are, are, are there, you know, red, you know, getting ready for the draft the following years. Um, but yeah, I think like the you know roster limits has put a, a you know, crunch on the opportunities. Um, there's been some, you know, challenges for, uh, you know, every team, but also some of your real opportunities for uh, players as well. You know, I I feel like I want to skip ahead and grab a question from down low. So Jose Espada came from one of the partner leagues. He was an independent ball to start last year and just made his major league debut. What a success story. Uh, and then Duncan Snyder's another guy that I've been following. Um, and I believe he's made his way up to high A this year. Um, so 
can you tell us a little bit about how those guys were scouted and and how how is it different developing somebody that has been in indie ball versus somebody that you pick up from college or high school? That's an you know, excellent question. You know, thankfully we have one. You know, one of our best scouts lives in Milwaukee, AJ Ellis, uh, who is uh, you know helps across uh, you know all baseball operations. is an unbelievable person. But is that former mm-hmm. major league catcher oh, AJ Ellis? Yeah, that's AJ. No, yeah, yeah that, that would be it. Absolutely, you know, AJ Ellis. So uh, he's an absolute rock star, and uh, you know in the organization. But he so we went through a COVID outbreak um, late June of uh, last year, and we were in need of pitching, and it was kind of at the point then when, you know, MLB did not want to, you know, cancel any games or anything like that. And we were, we had a, you know, big, big need. So, um, you know, Duncan Snyder and Jose Espada were, you know, two guys that we had identified, guys that were healthy, guys that were interesting. Um, we had some intel, you know, from those leagues from AJ Ellis. Um, and we were able to, you know, bring them, you know, both in. Uh, we sent Duncan Snyder back down to low A, Joe Espada. Jose Espada went to, Fort Wayne, um, and to their credit, you know, they both of them pitched, you know, very, very well. Um, you know, Duncan was a you know, huge part of what happened last year with the storm to be able to, you know, win the, uh, you know, Cali championship. Jose Espada came in there and took the ball. I think, you know, Rob Marcello, our you know, director of uh, pitching talks about guys that throw strikes and stay out of the train room. And if you do that, that gives you every opportunity to, to be able to pitch. And to Jose's credit, you know, he has the ability to throw a fastball, breaking, he can land his breaking ball in like any count. Um, he got really stronger as well over the past year, really, you know, bought into the S&C program, added about 15 pounds as Velo went up. Um, and so he had the ability to throw strikes, a little bit more Velo, really good to have, you know, feel for like a breaking ball. And he earned every, you know, opportunity he got. So, you know, ultimately it was, you know, a great story for everybody. Certainly happy for, uh, you know, Jose to be able to battle, you know, it was like a high pick, you know, Toronto, Boston goes into the, you know, independent leagues, partner leagues. We, you know, sign them. And he's, you know, continuing just to, you know, keep on pushing forward. He, you know, welcomed a, a daughter into the world here this summer. So I think, uh, you know, 2023 has been a banner year for a Jose. Yeah. yeah, he's got that dad strength coming on. Right. <laughs> so, okay, so how's, how good is your Spanish? Uh, it's pretty, you know, más o menos. Yo, uh, yo hey. can say, hey, you know, mucho años in Dominican Republic. So, uh, no está perfecto, pero yo entiendo un poquito español. So I spend... A long time in the Dominican, I understand a little bit. It's not uh, like the best Spanish, but I think I can kind of you know, get by. So, so we've heard some some good things about the Padres org making uh, education, language education available, both for Spanish speakers, foreign players to learn English, but also for native, you know, American English speaking players to learn Spanish or whatever other language they might want to choose. Um, can you speak about what you guys have done to try to promote that stuff? I'll tell you what, you know, coming from like, an, from like a different organization, when I got in here to be able to see what we do on the education side has been really impressive. So there are a couple different, you know, paths. Uh, you know, Caitlin Simmons, you know, runs that on the minor league side for us. It's, you know, high school for, you know, players from like a Latin America. It's, you know, English and it's also mental skills. And I tell you, you want to talk about like a tearjerker is if so the past couple of years, whenever, you know, post-draft, you know, mid-July, we, you know, bring all the like a drafted players in here and we have high school graduation and a lot of their teammates that they're just, you know, getting to know are going through high school graduation. Uh, we're, we're in the major league clubhouse. Uh, there are videos that they, that they are, there are videos that are done by the parents and family members of, 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 of those players that are graduating high school that have spent hours upon hours, weeks and months and years on zoom calls, doing education and doing baseball. 
and there's not like a dry eye in the house. And you just sit there and you see how proud those you know, kids are um, of, you know, being able to graduate. You see how proud their you know, family members are. Um, and yeah, you better you know, bring like a box of Kleenex or two because it's really good to be able to, you know, celebrate those achievements, but it's great as well for, you know, new players that come into the system to be able to see where some of their teammates come from and some of the stuff that they've, you know, worked towards. So um, I give like a lot of credit to a Caitlin Simmons and a lot of credit to the Padres for, you know, building out her education program. That is, uh, you know, very, very impressive. And it's been, you know, awesome to see personally. Yeah, we saw that on the on Twitter. They had a picture of a couple of the players that got their high school diplomas. And when I was in uh, Lake Elsinore earlier this year, uh, getting ready to talk to uh, JBJ, uh, Bush Jr., uh, they yeah. had the mentals coach out there, and they had him all sitting around doing little stuff, and, and I had to kind of wait for him to finish over there for him to come talk to me. So that's active down on A-ball, and uh, it, it's really a good thing to see. Also, with the education, anything to make the player feel more comfortable, more buy-in to the organization, uh, I, I think helps as, you know, baseball is so gosh darn hard that if you can do, you know, the education and build the confidence from within the person outside of the baseball world, bringing that into the baseball world, I think does a lot better for, you know, for the mental health and the sports psychology of, of, of players. And that you, you just talked about a little, uh, sorry, you just talked a little bit about that. Um, what else are the Padres doing to help support their players and staff with the mental health and the sports psychology? I think like the biggest thing is, just, you know, raising awareness about it, you know, talking about it, not being scared to talk about it. It's, it's hard, man. It's like, the life's hard. It's like, you know, it's, it's, you know, hard to, to, to play baseball, to, you know, fail your sport, um, but to go out there and there's like a lot of pressures in the world that, you know, young guys have to, you know, deal with, um, you know, social media was something that, you know, the, the three of us never, you know, had to deal with day in and day out. There's you know, like a lot of media out there. There's a lot of pressure on these guys. So I think the biggest thing is talking about it and knowing that there are, you know, resources out there and you know, our, our, you know, coaches are very aware of it as well. And, you know, to be able to, you know, partner, you know, with the players to be able to talk through things. If there's stuff that's like, you know, like a higher level, we have have resources, people that are, you know, in the organization, outside the organization that these guys can, you know, lean into. We have a lot of, you know, former major league players that are around, Craig Stamen, AJ Ellis, Mark Loretta, Trevor Hoffman's here in like Arizona right now. Like these guys are able to, you know, talk with the players as well to be able to share, you know, you know, some of the things that, you know, that that they went through. Uh, but also to be able to give them some some you know tools and uh, support um, in terms of, you know trying to you know you know you know make it day in and day out on their uh, on their path to Petco Park. So um, yeah, there's like a number of things there. And at the end of the day, their success is our success. So every player in our system, we really we, you know want them to get to Petco Park. That's our goal, and we want to you know help them in every way possible. All right, so let's dive into some specific position players and decisions you guys make. Um, a lot of the pitching talent is in double a was the thinking. So Ethan Salas moved up so quickly from low a to high a and finished the season in double a. Um, what was the whole thought process behind moving him up so aggressively this season? Well, he's like an unbelievably talented player, but I think what's been you know, super impressive about Ethan so far is this is his head. I mean, this guy's like mature beyond his years. And I was down there on January 15th when we signed him. Uh, clearly, there's a very strong relationship with the Padres organization. Our international scouting group did fantastic, but the people around Ethan is, you know, really impressive. He's, you know, mom and dad are uh, very strong 
know, influences, his uncle, his grandfather, his two brothers. I mean, it's a baseball family. Um, and for him to have that, that level of maturity, that was like the number one thing for us. We, everybody could see the talent, the hands you saw in there, you know, major league game there with, you know, Ryan Weathers, you know, like, like the talent's easy to see, but to be able to see, you know, that like the type of person he is off the field making really good decisions all the time. And when he went out to Lake Elsinore, he played really well. Um, and he definitely earned that promotion out of uh, Lakey. I think there was some, you know, thought overall, like, you know, Fort Wayne, you know, double A kind of going back and forth. We felt, you know, double A he was ready for it. And we also felt that that, 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 that team with like a spot, you know, already uh, set for the playoffs was like the best you know place to put him or, or to have him play for, for the rest of the season. So, you know, certainly having Ethan there and then, you know, you know, having like the rest of those, you know, that, that like pitching group and a position players, I think our, our mindset was, you know, one, it was good for his like a development to be challenged at that level. We felt he was going to be able to handle it from, you know, on the field. We felt he was definitely going to be able to handle it, you know, um, you know, off the field as well. Um, so that's why we made that, that decision to be able to, to, that's why we made that decision to send him to a, to, to a double A. All right. So Tirsa Ornelas had turned the corner uh, this year in AAA. Finally, what was the catalyst for that? Why did he finally just start hitting and kind of calming down? I think Tirsa was a really talented player with an unbelievable work ethic. You know, he in, in the off season, he's, he went up you know on his own to go spend time with Raul Padron there in Amarillo. Uh, he's got a really good uh, you know relationship with that Raul. That they've been together for a number of years. He's still really young. I mean, we think about that. Tirsa, twenty three years old, and to have like that amount of time at the upper levels. Um, I think he's, you know, continued. He always had like a really good approach. He had really always had the ability to put the bat on the ball, use the whole field. And I think he's been able to tap into some more, more of power. So you, know, you think about a guy still, you know, at that age, um, it's just been like a credit to him for how he's worked uh, for how like that de- development path has continued, you know, with the bat. And again, he's a guy that we're, you know, very excited about. He earned every bit of it there. To that you know at at the AAA level. So Matthew Batten is another success story that has made it up to the majors, and now he's making a pretty good impact. He's one of these guys that does everything well, but nothing he does jumps off the page. He doesn't have big power. He doesn't have big speed. He's just really good at everything. How does an organization keep guys like that from getting lost in the shuffle? And people look at somebody like yeah. him, they might say organizational depth or something like that. Uh, but you guys clearly kept a focus on him. No, I mean, you know, Maddie's a, a a winning player. So I think when the you know, managers have a you know, trust you know, in a player that he's going to go out there, he's going to play the game right, he's going to make every play, make good decisions on the field, put together competitive at bats, you know, take a walk, move a runner, you know, knock a guy in, lay a bunt down. I mean, those guys have like a lot of value to a, a winning atmosphere. So you know, Maddie, you know, to be like a thousand dollar sign at a Quinnipiac, I think. <laughs> all I know is there's really good pizza up there. But uh, excuse me to all the alums out there that, that are you know listening right now. But you know for you know you know what he did to earn you know every bit of it. He's a winning player, and you know you're seeing him making you know, big contributions right now at the major league level. So we couldn't be you know, happier for a Matt and you know what he's done in our system. So Jackson Merrill's played a little bit of outfield. Uh, speaking of another friend of the podcast, uh, he's uh, is that going to be maybe his path to the majors? Uh, playing the outfield, maybe playing a little more around the infield. We didn't. I wasn't sure that you guys noticed that that he played the outfield this year. Oh, we pay attention. Oh, did you I pay, watch okay. every game? Every <laughs> game I watch. Yeah, I think when you kind of have players like Jackson, I think 
you know, early in, and, and early on in their career, it's really about their individual, you know, development. So he played shortstop all last year. He started out you know, this year playing shortstop. There's a point in like every player's like a career when they get closer to the major league level that, you know, that's a little bit of like a fit of, you know, what it looks like on the big league team. So yeah, there were some, you know, he played, played some left field. He played some second base, played first base. You know, one is because he's a really good player and he played, you know, very well at the double A level. And when you start to have some internal conversations about, you know, is Jackson like a real option for the major league team or if any players like a real option for the major league team, you know, where is he going to be able to play on the field? So um, I don't know, you know, if he's going to play, you know, left field, center field, shortstop, third base, shortstop, you know, second base, first base, or, you know, wherever. All I know is, you know, Jackson wants to play in the big leagues. He's a winning player. And I think it's incumbent upon us to be able to, you know, give him some opportunities at different spots. Um, that kind of lines up with like the vision of the, of the team and where there might be chances, you know, at that major league level. So what impressed me watching Jackson up in Lake Elsinore wasn't so much what he did on the field, but how he interacted with his teammates off the field. He really showed some leadership kind of aspects. Um, Robbie Snelling has dominated as he's moved up and he seems to have some, some skills outside of baseball skills yeah. that, that are making him successful. Uh, what are some of the things you guys look for um, to, you know, to, to tell you that a player has that extra kind of tool? Uh, that's an excellent question. I think that first and foremost, it's a credit to our scouting group. I think a lot of that stuff is um, identified by our scouts. A lot of that stuff comes from like their upbringing of uh, players. I think ultimately, you know, what we're looking for a lot are looking for guys that have heart, you know, guys that are that are smart, you know, and guys that are hungry. And um, you know, if you have like you know baseball skill, which is you know first and foremost, but you're but, but you're you know, really, really hungry to you know, maximize you know, every you know, bit of talent you have and you're smart. That's a really good uh, combination. And you look at those like elite, elite players. You think about Tony Gwynn and Trevor Hoffman and all these unbelievable guys. They were really talented. They had big time heart and they were smart and they were excellent teammates. And I think Robbie's you know, shown like every bit of that to, 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 uh, to this point. He's been you know, really, really good. Um, you know, it's been, I mean, he was in this program out here in Arizona one year ago. And now he's, you know, you know, advanced or you know, low A to high A to to a double A, and we could be uh, more pumped up for for the year that that he had, uh, you know, not only on the mound but also, you know, like the type of you know teammate and work ethic he has. Yeah, kids are bulldog. Real quick, we have a few more minutes left. Uh, Nathan Wonderell, and who the hell scouted Graham Pauly? 13th round. The kid is just a beast. Uh, him and Nathan Mortarella, I call the tank commander on the podcast. Uh, these guys have just come out of really uh, you know, nowhere and just found this power stroke. Um, how the hell did that happen? Again, a huge credit to our scouts. You know? So, you know, Martarella comes in from Cal, and I tell you what, he's, he like lights up a room. I mean, he's got like big time uh, clubhouse personality, but what he does is he shows up every day. I think he played 135 games like this year. I mean, it was like yeah. really impressive. He posted every day there at um, you know Fort Wayne. Him and him and Jacob Marcy, another you know, excellent yeah. pick. Almost had like a competition about who could who could you know play every day. Um, and to, you know Marty's credit, it's been you know really really good. He's out here in, in the in the fall league, you know, getting ready to go. Um, and you know Graham Pauly again, unbelievable scouting story. Jake Koenig uh, there in the Carolinas for us. Uh, you know saw saw Graham. Um, and for Graham to come in and do it, what he did. And again, like an unbelievable work ethic, really smart, 
and competitive, wants to, to be good. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, there's, I mean, that, that was a, that was all on the player and, and on Jake and our guys just, you know, kind of helping them and, you know, getting out of the way. So, um, it's, you know, very exciting to see, you know, Graham, you know, fired up to see those guys here, here in the fall league over the next, uh, you know, five six, or six weeks. weeks or so. Yeah. Yeah. Five or six weeks. You, did you say Jared Koenig? Is he any relation to Ian Ian Koenig? No, Jake Koenig. Jake. Jake okay. is our area scout here in the Carolinas. <laughs> okay, because so. I know we've had a, we've had the Koenig brothers in the organization this year. Yeah, um, so have. I know you need to get going. Um, you know, we think of baseball being a, a spring to fall kind of a sport, but I'm sure for a player, for a guy in your role, it's a season long, it's a year round kind of a thing. What what happens between now and spring training for Mike Daly? Oh, that's a you know, great question. We um um like like a couple of things. So we will wrap up here up here on the fifth. We'll have a uh, you know SNC camp October thirtieth to no- November seventeenth. You know you, you know here in uh, here in Arizona, there's a new a uh, dead period uh, this year in, in the minor leagues. It starts on the eighteenth of November and that goes till January first. Yeah. Um. Like like essentially, so you know we won't be able to have any contact with our players, which you know hurts our heart. Uh, but we know that, that these guys are really serious and they'll be able to find spots and they'll be on their own. Um, your your family are... probably appreciates that. though. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't lying. You ain't lying. You ain't lying. So, uh, but we'll get, we'll have our Dominican program opening up here on the 1st of October. That'll go till the 17th of November as well. We have a couple of kids here, like here in, in this program. Now that'll go down to the Dominican to be able to get more at bats. Um, and then we'll, you know, be, have some, like a planning meetings here and you know, we'll kick it off here. January 8th is when our complex opens up out here in, uh, in, a, in, um, like Arizona, I would yeah. expect that we have like a lot of people, you know, out here early, you know, getting ready for what should be like a really exciting and big, you know, upcoming season. So I made, I made fantasy camp this year and it was during you guys' uh, strength and conditioning, uh, program and i saw a bunch of friends of mine from the pop for a bunch of friends of ours from the podcast I'm like hey they're like what are you doing I'm like when i'm playing fantasy camp a couple of those guys were out there watching me my 40 my 53 year old tail you know playing <laughs> baseball poorly you know after running around with my legs all sore um making fun of me having fun uh it was a blast out there hey we really appreciate you taking the time we'd love to have you come on in, in the future uh we have so much more to talk about we didn't even really touch too much on the pitching that just has taken giant steps this year and i think really has been the uh the, the star of of the system has been all the starting pitching that has taken gigantic leaps forward in your hyper area in your adam mazer um just just amazing. So we'd love to have you come on again. Thank you so much. And we appreciate your time. Absolute pleasure. I guess what I should have said during the dead period is that I'll be on the show here once a week. So I got nothing else to do. So I would <laughs> love to come back anytime guys. So thank you so much. All right, Mike, we really appreciate it. Thank you. you. Thank you guys. Trucking, I'm going home. Whoa, whoa, baby, back where I belong.